everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. As I am recording this, we are entering the final days of 2021. I hope you all had, or are having, a happy, festive, seasonal holiday of your choice. And while recent experience has cautioned me against putting too much stock in the metaphoric turning of a calendar, I find that I am looking forward to the physical turning of a literal calendar. What baby animals will my 2022 calendar hold? The sky's the limit. Because thus far, all of the baby animals that have been pictured in any calendars I've seen have been terrestrial in nature and therefore exist primarily at elevations lower than the stratosphere. Thus far. But as much as I am looking forward to seeing whatever baby arctic fox or puffin chick or bee cub the illustration for the month of January is going to show me, there is one thing that I am not looking forward to. And that is the inevitable, intrinsically inappropriate small talk question that crops up at the beginning of every year. So, got any New Year's resolutions? Look, I get it. Small talk is hard. And being socially isolated for the better part of two years hasn't made it any easier. But at what point did we as a society decide that an informal request for a self-evaluation is a reasonable expectation for a chat with a casual acquaintance? If you were at a summer barbecue and your neighbor came up to you and was like, so what areas would you target in your existence as a human being that you would say have room for improvement? You would be well within your rights to kick them in the shin and run away. Who the fuck wants to have a performance review recreationally? I don't want to have a performance review ever, under any circumstances. You know what I think of when I think of a performance review? I think of that scene in Roadhouse where Ben Gazzara lines all of his hench people up and tells them to apologize for being bad at their job. Only one of them doesn't do a good job apologizing, so he punches that guy in the face and then tells him he doesn't like him because he bleeds too much. And you know what? All things considered, I would probably rather have Ben Gazzara punch me in the face than have to do a performance review self-evaluation. So, in the next couple of months, if you find yourself stuck in a conversation with a casual acquaintance, I would recommend, instead of asking about New Year's resolutions, either punch them in the face and tell them that they bleed too much, or just pick a different small talk question. Ask them what their favorite baby animal is. Is it a bee cub? Because initially, that's just a thing I said a few minutes ago when I couldn't think of the name Larva. But the more I think about it, the more I want to see a bee cub. Sounds really fucking cute. I bet it's got, like, big floppy antennas that it needs to grow into. Aww. Anyway, we should probably talk about a comic book. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Oh, also, don't punch people in the face. Unless you're Ben Gazzara. Or they're a Nazi. Or both. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Matthew Higgins. 
I told my girlfriend I got some stuffing stalkers for Christmas. She laughed at me and said that's what we're calling them from now on. Synopsis. Thanks, Matthew. New Titans, number 54, May 1989. Who is Wonder Girl? Chapter 5, Answers and Questions. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by George Perez. Inked by Romeo Tangal. Hooray! Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Barbara Kiesel. Titan Roll Call. Wonder Girl. Nightwing. Beast Boy. Cyborg. Raven. Starfire. Jericho. Danny fucking Chase. And... Athens with a Y. Previously in the DC Universe. Wonder Girl, a.k.a. Donna Troy, had a backstory and origin that were a fucking nightmare of nonsensical, self-contradictory retcons. A problem that was exacerbated by a continuity rewriting crossover event called Crisis on Infinite Earths, which retroactively erased any possible connection between Wonder Girl and Wonder Woman. Previously in The New Titans. The gang had just returned from an adventure and was in the middle of berating obnoxiously precocious late-season cast edition Danny fucking Chase for being a dipshit when a bunch of alien jerks showed up and tried to murder Wonder Girl. The Titans killed most of the aliens, but then a pretty lady with stars in her hair showed up and killed the rest of the aliens. The Titans were grateful for the assistance, but were understandably curious as to who this galaxy-haired stranger was. The cosmically quaffed killer spent a great deal of time explaining that she didn't have time to explain who she was before eventually explaining who she was. Who she was was Phoebe, one of the titans of ancient Greek myth, and she had come to Earth to tell Donna Troy that all her memories from the ages of 3 to 13 were a bunch of made-up bullshit that had been total recalled into her head by the ancient Greek titans for reasons that get elaborated on later but never actually make sense. Phoebe took a brief pause to let that information sink in, then suddenly aged about a thousand years and started dying of oldness. With her dying breath, the suddenly senior stranger spent 20 minutes or so delivering the following exposition dump. <sighs> a super duper long time ago, the ancient Greek titans were still in charge of Earth and everything was super chill. Then their kids, Zeus and the other Greek gods, decided that they wanted to run shit and threw the OG titans into space. The displaced deities landed on a tiny moon in a faraway galaxy. They called the moon New Cronus in honor of their former leader who Zeus had killed before giving them the boot. They spiffed up New Cronus and made it look like ancient Greece, but then they got bored and decided they wanted people to worship them. So they headed down to the planet that New Cronus orbited and started imposing their culture and demanding fealty. The only problem was the natives of the planet, whose name was probably not coincidentally Sinrianak, a portmanteau of Syria, Iran, and Iraq, were too, quote, primitive and warlike, unquote, to appreciate the titans inflicting European civilization upon them. How ungrateful! The Sinrianakis rebelled against their purportedly benevolent overlords, which resulted in a series of world wars which devastated the planet. Reluctantly, the Titans withdrew to New Cronus. Then they got bored again. So Cronus's widow Rhea split her soul into 12 pieces and zoomed around the universe collecting orphan toddlers who were about to die and bringing them back to New Cronus. These orphans, of whom Donna was one, were given superpowers renamed after ancient Greek cities, Donna was named Troy, and raised and educated as the Titans' children. When the orphans, who the Titans called the Titan Seeds, which, gross, reached adolescence, the Titans decided to wipe their memories, implant false ones, and send them back to their home planets for 50 years, allegedly to teach them humility or something, but probably because teenagers, am I right? 
Unsurprisingly, this nonsense plan backfired. One of the Titan seeds, Sparta, who was probably not coincidentally from the planet Sinrianak, regained her memories early and went bonkers conquering her planet and using its resources to declare war on the Titans of New Cronus. This war went poorly for Sparta, but the Mad Titan Seed had a backup plan. She invented some fancy spaceships that looked like those flying murder balls from the movie Phantasm on the outside, and alien boob factories on the inside, then sent them around the universe murdering her fellow Titan Seeds. With each murder, Sparta got stronger. She managed to murder eight of her fellow Titan Seeds, at which point the OG Titans figured they ought to do something. So Phoebe split her soul three ways and set out to warn the three surviving orphans. Sparta's warriors shot down two of the Phoebes, but the final Phoebe made it through and found Donna. Once she finished with this titanic exposition dump, Phoebe handed over a Phantasm Sphere spaceship that I guess she had managed to swipe off of Sparta's army and told Donna and her pals to go get the other two Titan seeds and bring them back to New Cronus. If she failed, the OG Titans would die, which I guess we're supposed to think is a bad thing. Then she died. Bye, Phoebe! Donna left a message for her husband Terry Long informing him that she was going into space for a while and would be back when she was done. Then she, Raven, and Beast Boy hopped in the Phantasm Sphere that Phoebe had given her and headed off to search for one Titan Seed, while Dick, Jericho, Cyborg, and Starfire hopped in the Phantasm Sphere the aliens who tried to murder Donna left behind and went looking for the other Titan Seed. They left Danny fucking Chase at home because 1. He was way too excited at the prospect of murdering aliens, and B. He's a dipshit. Hooray! Donna's Phantasm Sphere quickly located Xanthi, a delightfully adorable white-furred yeti-looking dude. Xanthi vaguely recognized Donna and agreed to go with her and her friends. They headed to New Cronus where the OG Titans fully restored Donna's and Xanthi's memories of their childhood. Dick's crew had a slightly rougher go of it. Their Phantasm Sphere took them to a militaristic planet where they found Athens with a Y, a tall, gruff alien with a blue mohawk and a mechanical warsuit. For some reason, Athens with a Y didn't instantly believe the four strange aliens, telling him that all of his memories were wrong without presenting any corroborating evidence. Weird. He ordered his army to arrest the Titans, but then Sparta's warriors showed up and started attacking both the Titans and Athens with a Y's forces. Joey hopped inside Athens with a wise body and forced him to get into the Phantasm Sphere. They zoomed off towards New Cronus, but as soon as they left, Sparta's army detonated a bomb that blew up Athens with a wise whole planet. Athens with a Y was understandably peeved about the destruction of his planet and the death of everyone there, including his wife and family. The Titans were less understandably upset at Athens with a Y for not immediately believing their unbelievable story. Jericho was forced to stay inside the gang's unwilling shipmate and kept puppeting him around for the duration of the voyage to keep him from attacking them. But as the Phantasm Sphere neared New Cronus, things came to a head. Sparta and her space army ambushed the incoming vessel before it reached its destination. Athens with a Y took advantage of this distraction, kicked Joey out of his body, and took over the ship. The enraged alien used the Phantasm Sphere to attack Sparta's forces while battling the Titans within the Sphere. The resulting battle was equal parts impressive, confusing, and frustrating. Eventually, Sparta and her minions managed to blow up the sphere. Raven, who had been watching the space battle from the surface of New Cronus, managed to teleport Starfire off of the orb before it exploded, but was unable to locate the other passengers in time. The wreckage of the ship and all those within it crash-landed in a remote jungle on Sinrianak. Sparta's forces searched for the survivors and managed to capture Cyborg, but Dick and Joey, who had taken re-control of Athens with a wise body, were able to escape. Back on New Cronus, the new Titans and Xanthi pleaded with the old Titans to allow them to go to Sinrianak to rescue their pals, but the old Titans told them that if anything happened to Xanthi or Donna, then the universe would end, which was definitely new information. 
The gang made the surprisingly persuasive counter-argument that they wanted to go anyway, and the OG Titans immediately relented, with the caveat that at least one of the Titan seeds had to remain on New Cronus with them for some reason. Donna drew the short straw, so Xanthi, Raven, Starfire, and Beast Boy teleported to Sinrianax, capital city, where Sparta was torturing Cyborg. They arrived just as Dick and Joey were launching a poorly planned attempt to rescue Vic, and a huge, confusing battle broke out, the highlights of which were Xanthi used some Titan magic to restore Athens with a wise memory, Raven did surprisingly well at holding her own against Sparta, Starfire killed an awful lot of Sparta's army, and Beast Boy turned into a bird and threatened to poop on people. Eventually, Sparta overpowered Raven and turned her attention to Athens with a Y, who I guess she used to date back when they were preteens on New Cronus. She zapped an evil death beam at her no longer amnesiac ex-boyfriend, but at the last minute, Xanthi leapt into the bolt's path and was incinerated. Well, fuck! Just like that, the only character the book has introduced in like 50 issues that I actually gave a shit about was dead. After killing Xanthi, Sparta just kinda wandered away for some reason, and Raven teleported the surviving Titans back to New Cronus. God, Zooks! Is Xanthi really dead? What did the OG Titans mean about the universe being destroyed? And if Sparta gets stronger every time she killed a Titan seed because a finite amount of power was split between the seeds, then why didn't Donna Athens with a Y and Xanthi also get stronger every time Sparta killed a Titan seed? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yes. I know you couldn't hear it, but I was extending both my middle fingers when I made that fart noise. I don't know, it doesn't come up. And beats me, but it sure seems like they should have, doesn't it? Hmm. There's a bunch of cool-looking explosions and energy blasts and a bunch of complicated nonsense happens, some of which either ignores or directly contradicts the complicated nonsense that happened in the last few issues, but at the end of the day, the old Titans are a bunch of dicks, so are most of the new Titans, Xanthi is still dead, and Danny fucking Chase still isn't. The end. Sorry, still a little raw about the whole Xanthi thing. I'll go into a little more detail, but if you're in a hurry... That's the quick version. Here's the slightly longer version. Danny fucking Chase is hanging out at the Titan's giant T-shaped skyscraper. His internal monologue vacillates between self-flagellation and self-aggrandizement, but mostly, he's just bored. Suddenly, the intruder alert starts going off. Danny fucking Chase lashes out blindly with his powerful telekinesis and nearly kills the intruder until he realizes that it is just Donna's husband, Terry Long. Danny releases the disgraced former professor from his mental grip and apologizes. Hmm. Missed opportunity. Terry goes low-key Jack Norris and is like, Where's my wife? Please. Danny is like, Eh, some god came here and told the Titans to go to space, so they did. Jerks. Terry is like, Oh, okay. Danny is like, I hate the Titans and I hope they never come back. Terry is like, Yeah, that makes sense. Wanna go see a movie? Danny is like, okay. So they go see a movie. Meanwhile, on Sinrianak, Sparta is standing on the ruins of a building and yelling at the sky about how much she hates the Titans. Like, all of them, both old and new. I guess something like 10,000 people died in her battle with the Titans, and no small percentage of that number was the result of friendly fire. The citizens of Sinrianak aren't exactly stoked about her leadership, but they aren't sure what to do about that. One guy is like, 
my whole family just died. That sucks. Another guy is like, yeah, and after she killed that one adorable furry guy, she just kind of wandered away instead of finishing off the rest of her enemies. What was up with that? Unfortunately, Sparta is both psychic and has excellent hearing. She stops yelling at the sky for a second and addresses the Sinrianakis. She's like, hey, I got a better question. What's up with you guys questioning my infallible leadership? Ooh, here's an even better question. What's up with you guys being on fire? Then she uses her powers to light them on fire and burn them to death. The rest of the nearby Sinrianakis are less than enthusiastic about this debate tactic, but they figure they're probably better off keeping quiet about that. Pragmatic. Over on New Cronus, everybody is pretty bummed that Xanthi is dead. Not as bummed as they should be, in my opinion, but still, pretty bummed. Athens with a Y is like, This is my fault. If I had been faster, I could have saved him. Good point. Donna is like, No, this is my fault. I'm a better warrior than he was. I shouldn't have let him go, whether he won that coin toss or not. Better point. The OG Titans are like, this sucks. His death puts a real crimp in our plans for the future. Now we might be stuck staying old. Okay, first of all, fuck you. B, what the fuck are you talking about? And thirdly, never mind. I don't care what you're talking about. Another fuck you. Beast Boy thinks to himself, Man, I've had like seven or eight sets of parents die and muddled through just fine. But for some reason, even though I barely knew him, Xanthi's death is hitting me super hard. See? Beast Boy gets it. The adolescent Animorph heads over to where Cyborg is recovering from his wounds, and the two chums share a nice moment where they each express the sentiment that they are glad the other is not dead. It's touching. Raven goes to check on Dick to see how he's doing. She's like, Hey, I noticed you broke your leg when you were in that spaceship crash. Want me to heal it? Dick is like, no, I'm more effective when I'm in nearly debilitating pain and barely able to move. It keeps me sharp. Raven is like, Okay, whatever, weirdo. Suit yourself. While Dick and Raven are having this chat, Athens with a Y is thinking about how weird it is that he and Sparta used to date. Beast Boy is like, Yeah, that is weird. I mean, weren't you guys like 12 the last time you saw each other? I don't say this often, but good point, Beast Boy. Starfire is like, now Gar, different species mature at different rates. I'm sure that's what's at play here, and this isn't just another example of a writer forgetting the timeline he had previously established for a chain of events. Athens with a Y is like, yeah, what she said. Also, our respective species each has this thing where we can sense who our soulmate is and are forever drawn to them no matter where they might be in the universe. Okay, Athens with a Y. Putting aside the fact that that seems like a logistical nightmare, especially if the soulmate pool is not limited to a single species or planet, it still raises a few questions. Like, how did your wife feel about the fact that she apparently wasn't your soulmate? And, if what you said is just true, then why weren't you seeking out Sparta before you got your memories back? Before Athens with a Y gets a chance to address either of these issues, one of the OG Titans, oh let's say Hyperion, pipes up with some unsolicited and previously unhinted at exposition. He's like, 
You know, when we gave the Titan Seed superpowers, we did it in groups of three. Any three Titans can form what we call a trinity in which they combine their powers and they increase exponentially. The plan was, at some point, we'd get three of you to form a trinity, and that would create enough power that you could restore us OG titans to our original youth and power levels, and then we could do whatever we wanted, and also, the three titan seed who formed the trinity would retain their original powers too somehow. Of course, now that Xanthi's dead, I guess you can't do that, and we're stuck being old forever. Huh. Well, that's all new. And kinda arbitrary. Dick is like, so she doesn't get any power from killing one Titan Seed, she only gets it when she kills a set of three. Uh, not sure where you got that from, Dick, but I guess it's the case because one of the OG Titans, let's say Oceanus, is like, yup, totally, see this guy gets it. Say, you must be in an awful lot of pain to pick this up so quickly. Great job! Dick is like, thanks, and you're right. I am in an excruciating amount of pain. So excruciating that I just came up with a brilliant plan. See, Sparta's all cuckoo, but she's still a titan seed. So that means if we can keep her captive, we can make her form a trinity with Donna and Athens with a Y. Let's say Iapetus is like, Okay, but how do we keep her captive? Dick is like, Easy, Raven can do it. See, I noticed when they fought earlier that Sparta seemed sort of vulnerable to Raven's powers. That's because Sparta's evil. She's practically a demon. And Raven's extra-dimensional bad dad Trigon was a demon. And for years, Raven was able to imprison her extra-dimensional bad dad inside of her bird-shaped soul tummy. So logically, it follows that if we can stuff Sparta into Raven's bird-shaped soul tummy, then Donna and Athens with a Y can go in there and make her form a trinity and restore all of your powers and break Zeus's curse. Okay, that is definitely the first we've heard of Zeus's curse. Everyone agrees that Dick's plan is genius and definitely based on previously established information. Starfire is like, wow, pain really does make you smarter. Is that why you're always asking me to choke you? Dick is like, um, yes. Yes, it is. Then Dick gives a little rallying speech about how he's not very good at giving rallying speeches. It isn't a very good speech, so I guess he's got a point. Meanwhile, on Sinri and Ak, some people at the royal palace try to tell Sparta that they'd like it if she could stop killing people. So she kills them. Then she's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go fly to New Cronus and murder the OG Titans. On New Cronus, the OG Titans are like, We can sense that Sparta is now at her most vulnerable for reasons that we won't elaborate on. If you're going to attack her, you should do it now. So Starfire and Beast Boy zoom down and attack Sparta. There's a giant cool-looking space fight that's mostly between Sparta and Coriander, with Gar occasionally getting in a few sucker punches, and at one point turning into a bug and stinging Sparta's eyeball, which is fun. As I said, it's a cool-looking fight, but the outcome was never really in question. Sparta soon overpowers her adversaries and is about to zap them to death. That's when Raven swoops in and stuffs the mad titan seed into her bird-shaped soul tummy, where Donna and Athens with a Y are waiting for her. Raven uses all of her magical nonsense powers to contain Sparta and chill her out as much as she can. 
But even with all that, Sparta still seems pretty unchill. So Athens with a Y tackles her, and Donna lassos her. Together, they make her hold hands with them. Then the three titan seeds float around inside Raven's soul tummy in a hand-holding circle, like they're in that one skydiving scene in Point Break. As soon as they start holding hands, they all yell a lot, and some explodey energy stuff happens in the background, and all of their clothes start falling apart. Back on New Cronus, the OG titans are like, Welp, we can sense that a trinity is forming, so let's hoover up all that power. So they all hold hands, only they're just standing there, and also they're super old, so they look a lot less like they're in that one scene from Point Break. A whole bunch of cool-looking energy stuff happens as energy transfers from Raven on Sinrianak to the old Titans on New Cronus. For a while, it looks as though both celestial bodies are engulfed in huge flames, and then there's a giant explosion. When the fireworks subside, Ravens, Athens with a Y, Donna, and Sparta are left standing on a dais in Sinrianak's capital city. They're all physically unharmed, but Sparta is now staring vacantly forward with a little drool dribbling down her chin. The cosmic nonsense battle has destroyed her brain. The Sinrianaki citizens are all like, Let's kill her! She sucks! But then the OG titans appear in the sky, looking all young and hot. Well, except for Iapetus who is younger, but still at least middle-aged for some reason. The OG Titans are like, Hey, now that we're all hot and powered up again, we think you should stop killing each other. Also, the curse of Zeus is broken, and we're now able to leave New Cronus and go wherever we want. Neat, huh? Wait, that was the curse of Zeus? That they were stuck on New Cronus? Then... How the fuck were Rhea and Phoebe able to zoom around the universe and respectively collect and warn orphans? Whatever. The OG Titans go on and are like, We'll keep this brain-dead version of Sparta around with us as a reminder to not be such irresponsible assholes in the future. Also, Athens with a Y, you're gonna get god powers and live with us too. Now, as for Donna... We've got something very special for you. And we'll tell you all about it next issue. To be continued. What? No, this was supposed to be the last issue of this story arc. Part 5 of 5. Also, their present to Donna better not be another new origin, because she already has plenty of those, and she barely uses the ones that she's got. Fucking ancient titans. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going just fine. Happy, um, Boxing Day. Likewise. You had a nice seasonal holiday? Yeah, it's been very different on account of not hanging out as much with family, like I think most people are experiencing, or many people. Yeah. But it's been relaxing. Good. Good to have a lovely dinner with you and Lisa. I enjoyed that very much. This is now the first time since we hung out on Christmas Eve that I have worn actual pants. So, Congratulations. Well, and you're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, Lisa got me some flannel pajama pants Mm. and a robe, and so I have been feeling very comfy lately. That's awesome. But when it's time to do work, you've got to put on pants. Work pants. 
Yeah, that's the main thing that I learned from that Dr. Dre song, where it goes, when my jeans on and my team's strong. Mm. When you think about it, probably most teams would perform worse if they were all wearing jeans. They're generally not designed for athletic pursuits, unless they're action jeans. They still make those? I don't know. They may have in like 1990 when that song came out. Oh, he's probably wearing action jeans. I don't know. I don't see Dre doing a lot of high kicks. Oh, it's probably a gift. Maybe, maybe when he was with the, uh, was he, he wasn't in the Ultramagnetic MCs. That was cool, Keith. What was his band? Dr. Dre's band? Yeah. What, like, he used to wear, like, Cosby sweaters. Uh, NWA. No, before that. Was he in the Ultramagnetic MCs? I don't think he was. Hi, this is Editor Hub here in the future. No, Dr. Dre was not in the Ultramagnetic MCs. The group I was thinking of was called the World Class Wrecking Crew. And while I cannot find evidence of Dr. Dre wearing what I referred to as Cosby sweaters during that era, he did have what appears to be a cable-knit white jumpsuit, which is really something. What does that have to do with action jeans? Was well, Chuck Norris think... in the ultramagnetic <laughs> He might have been. The 80s were a crazy time. Right. Well, speaking of things that happened in the 80s, you want to talk about this comic book? That's what we're here to do. I appreciate that non-answer. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Well, I, I love George Perez's artwork, and it is full of it. It is, and he is once again joined by Romeo Tangal on the inks, which is nice. It's odd to me that Romeo Tangal is credited as guest inker, and that on the cover of the comic, it still lists Bob McCloud's name. Mm. So that does tell me that that was a last-minute substitution that Romeo Tengal was able to step in and do. But I was glad that he did. We haven't seen Wolfman and Perez and Tengal work together in quite some time. I think, like, what, issue six of this series? Something like that. So nearly 50 issues. So it was nice to see them together. I also enjoyed the art. As for the rest of the comic book... Whatever, man. Dude, what the fuck? This is supposed to be the end, and it ends with the next issue, the reveal yeah, happens. Yeah, we find out that Wonder Girl is given the gift. Now, when you read that, I know you've been watching a lot of Food Wars lately. <laughs> Did you read that as the gift? Oh. <laughs> no, but it would explain why she was wearing a toga. And it would explain why everybody in this comic book, at one point or another, I get that it is a visual shorthand for climactic battle, but everyone's costume in this issue is at one point or another just shredded like lettuce. Mm -hmm. The gift for those of you who haven't watched Food Wars is a thing where there's a certain family that when they eat delicious food, they make everybody's clothes fall off. Yep. And I don't think that's what the Titans are going to bestow to Wonder Girl. But I will say, makes as much sense as anything else that happens in this comic. Yeah. I was surprised at the extent to which I am just checked out of this storyline at this point. You know, I got really angry at the old Titans. I did too. Like, my big, out of everything, my takeaway other than, yeah, is Wonder Girl going to be able to make people's clothes explode? Man, I hate those old Titans. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I was also very, very upset with them, but... 
I was as upset with the story surrounding them as I was with them because that was not what had been set up before. And I know I need to learn to just go with it, but it was really, really frustrating to me the extent to which in the supposed final chapter of this story, we get so many, oh, and we didn't mention this before, but this is what was happening with this the whole time. I did appreciate a little bit the kind of editorial housekeeping that took place in this issue where there were some things that had rubbed you wrong mm-hmm. over the past few. We have uh, Gar. Actually, Gar does some pretty good synopsizing of things in here. He does. And honestly, overall, he does pretty good in this issue. Mm-hmm. So like one of the things you were troubled by before was how did Athens and Sparta have a sexual relationship when they were kids? That yep. seems weird. And Gar's like, hey, <laughs> um, this is weird, you guys. And Starfire's like, hey, uh, different plan has different rules, man. Yeah. And I would accept that. But then Athens goes on to elaborate that, yes, our two races both have this thing where we can sense our soulmate across the galaxy and we'll spend our whole lives pursuing them. What a fucking nightmarish experience that would be. And presumably evolution is at play here somewhere, and that just seems like the worst way to go about it, especially if it goes cross-species. Yeah, I think my notes were something to the effect of intergalactic cross-species romantic predestination because the story wasn't complicated enough. Yeah, and, and it just gets thrown in at the last minute, and there's a bunch of stuff like that. I did appreciate Gar pointing out, like, hey, here's a thing that happened in the last issue that doesn't really add up, which I really think initially that had just been Wolfman forgot that they were kids. They were kids the last time they saw each other. So, oh, okay, I'll explain that. And that has, for the most part, in the past, like, three issues, been my favorite parts of the issue is when it goes back and explains the shit that doesn't make sense in the last issue. But in each one, it then just piles more nonsense on that doesn't make sense. And in this one, throws in the whole, like, oh, and also the Titans were a Trinity thing. And remember that thing about the universe being destroyed? Yeah, we'll just take that off the table. Don't don't worry about that. That wasn't really a thing. By the universe will be destroyed, we mean we won't get young again and get our powers back. And so it plants in your mind that, oh, so the Titans, this was just like some kind of cosmic Ponzi scheme they were doing? Like, they were setting up a pyramid scheme where, like, okay, we'll give some of our powers to these 12 people, and then we'll harvest those powers, and then we'll get young and powerful again and can do whatever we want. That's a storyline. That is not the storyline we had gotten until, like, the second half of this issue over the course of a five-issue arc. It's a pretty big bait and switch, if you ask me. It is, and I would be fine if it was even presented as that. But it's not, like... The new Titans, when they hear that, they're just like, yeah, that's what we all knew going into this, right? And it's like, no, you should feel betrayed. You should feel mad at them. I am not crazy about the old Titans getting their powers back if this is the shit they're going to do with them. They also totally whitewash what they did with Sparta. And Donna helps them do that, where they're like, yes, well, it was her knowing the truth that drove her mad. She wasn't ready for it when she got that knowledge back, and that was what drove her crazy. The Titans were trying to protect us from that happening. It's like, no, it wasn't the truth. It was the truth 
contradicting the memories that they implanted in their head. Like, she had the truth initially, then they took it away from her, then they put a bunch of lies in there and mixed it with the truth, and then when it came back, that's what drove her mad. So we get one sentence, I think, from, I forget which one, Koyas maybe, says something to the effect of, boy, we fucked up and killed a lot of people, but... Hey, we're like way older now, and so we're totally not going to do that again. And then Dick's like, awesome, let's do this. Yeah, it's like, hey, lesson learned. On the whole interplanetary genocide thing, I gotta say, collectively, my bad. Now, moving on. Yeah, it's it's too little, too late. It is. It's too much of everything. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, speaking of too much death... We learn that the natives of Sinrianak have been coerced by Sparta into following her under threat of death and torture to their families. There's no mea culpa coming from the Titans for murdering so many of them. Tens of thousands that the Titans wiped out with a fire blast at the end of the last issue. And they don't feel anything about that. There's not even a mention of the fact that they did that. Yeah, that is troubling. And the other thing that was difficult to keep pace with was I guess because Raven absorbed a bunch of Sparta's powers, that's what made the whole planet catch on fire, but then when the Trinity thing happened, the planet uncaught on fire, and everything was fine again? Is that how you read it? I don't know. Honestly, by that point, I really was. I read the whole issue, but, like, I was like, ah, yeah, fuck, whatever. You're trying to the Corey Whitney approach. I'm trying to, not consciously, but it's just <laughs> happening. I think I didn't realize how checked out I was at this storyline until a few pages into this issue when Terry Long and Danny fucking Chase go off to have an adventure together. And I was like, well, I wish we could stick around and see what they're doing instead of going back to this <laughs> fucked up planet. Yeah. Like, I want to see the Terry Long, Danny fucking Chase buddy cop story that we're not getting. Yeah, so maybe just focusing on that for a second. Terry shows up at Titan Tower Mm -hmm. to find Donna because he doesn't know where the heck she is and he's worried. He's got a duffel bag with him. That was what I was going to bring up. So she just needs a place to stay, got kicked out of his apartment. Here's what I think happened. I think it would be in keeping with Terry Long's character if despite the fact that he is unemployed and staying at home all the time, Donna still did all the cleaning up and all of the cooking in their apartment. Probably paid all the bills and stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, you know, did, quote, research, unquote. And this was pre-internet. Yeah. It was when he's just sitting (laughs) on the couch reading Sports Illustrated. Pretty much. And so, as Donna's been gone, the apartment is getting dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And... I have some experience with living in an apartment that gets dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And at a certain point, one reaches the point, or at least I did, where you look around yourself and you scream, people don't live like this at yourself four or five times in a row. And then you finally clean the whole place and uh, it stays clean for a week. Mm -hmm. My theory is that Terry reached that point, looked around the apartment and says, well, time to find a new apartment. I think Don is out of town. I'll go stay at the Titan Tower. So I think he was just planning on using the Titan Tower as a hotel. He had gotten the message that the Titans are off planet. So he's like, well, there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. It'll take me a long time to dirty that place up. Yeah, plausible. I mean, especially because Danny hadn't been answering the phone. 
Harry's reaction to what Danny says is that whole interaction is very confusing too, because Terry shows up and is just like, I'm just so worried about Donna. I want to know what's going on. She said she left to go on some planet or whatever. And Danny is very dismissive and is like, yeah, they went to a planet. A God told them they should go. And Terry's like, phew, that's a relief. What part of what Danny said is a relief, especially it's coupled with Danny saying, I hope they never come back. If Terry is worried about Donna, that is a horrible thing for Danny to say. But it seems like Terry's just like, yeah, whatever. You know, Terry's got a lot of flaws, but one of his great strengths is an ability I wish I had more of, which I call filtering. Hmm. So you get a bunch of information, but you just want, like, one little nugget. All right. So in this case, it's a absolution of responsibility to worry because a god said to do something and their pay grade is way, way higher than mine. Okay. So, you know, whatever. Cool. And the rest of it's just like... Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's actually not a bad way to try to uh, communicate with Danny fucking Chase. Because yeah. I think if you listen to most of what he said, he's being a real fucking turd. Oh, yeah, no, he is I mean, objectively he, awful. He's Danny fucking Chase. Yeah. But, I'm sorry, but it did come off very, very creepy, a, like, 30-year-old man who has had romantic relationships with teenagers before, rolling up on a 14-year-old and saying, hey, we don't need them to have fun. I get that he's trying to take Danny's mind off it, but it comes across as super creepy, or at least it did to me. Gosh, I didn't, I didn't really read it that way. Um... Danny, I know what you mean. Hey, we don't need them to have fun. I don't know. It's because it's Terry. I am predisposed to read the things he says to other characters as creepy, and that did just kind of strike me as inappropriate. But Danny does need a parental figure in his life. That is something that he's been bitching about, so maybe he and Terry are just going to go to Dave and Buster's or whatever the 1989 equivalent of that is. Probably mm -hmm. Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Fun and spot. Yeah, tilt maybe, mm. and uh, yeah, go play some uh, Street Fighter Two at this point. Oh, I couldn't say ski ball. Sure, air hockey, mm -hmm. and yeah, and then scarf some dinner. Yep, good for them. I was mostly weirded out by that they have the exact same hair color. Oh, do you think it's trying to imply something? No, I think that was just the shade of like ginger that uh, was available. <laughs> they had lying around. <laughs> But it was odd. They were dressed in similar colors, too, and in a similar style. So Yeah, no, there's a weird, like, not buddy cop, but, like, what's that dynamic? Like, kid and adult hanging out? A cop and a half cop. type situation? Yeah. A Terry and a half? Mm-hmm. It could be, like, a looper situation. Is it possible that Terry Long is a aged-up version of Danny fucking Chase from the future? What happened to his uh, psychic powers, though? Oh, well, his telekinetic powers. I don't think he has psychic powows. I mean, he probably does, too. Well, I mean, he also has... He has a photographic fucking... memory. Yeah. That's a psychic power. Good point. Um, I don't know. He probably lost them. Or he just is lazy and doesn't like to use them. Mm. They atrophied? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, could be. I don't know. I used to be a lot better at tennis. Maybe it's like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When's the last time you played uh, tennis? Uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> There you go. So it's a power that I no longer have, I'm pretty sure. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm still great at it. No way to find out. Sadly. If you play against me, you will be great. It's a deal. <laughs> I am the worst. I bet. 
Terry Long from the future is worse at tennis than you. That's a comforting thought, I guess. So another thing that I found disturbing about this comic, and I mentioned that I was checked out of the storyline really before we even got into the story in this issue. Of course, a big part of that is that they fucking killed Xanthi last issue, and I'm still not over that. And it would be a lot easier to get over that if they didn't show me in five different panels images of Xanthi's lifeless corpse. I feel like you don't normally get that in a comic book. I feel like the dead people usually just kind of evaporate. And uh, it really sucked seeing dead Xanthi just lying there. I kept expecting them to reanimate him or something if they were going to show us his corpse, but they didn't. Yeah, and they called it out in like one of the subtitle bars or subheadings, too, that, hey, remember Xanthi? He was fucking great. He's dead. Like, yeah. It's just an emotional stakes building thing. I didn't care for it. Boo, I say. Yeah, that's fair. Dick has a weird little speech that he gives about how he doesn't want Raven to heal his broken leg because the pain keeps him sharp and keeps him focused and is better for him and he'll be better in a fight. I get the rationale if I don't agree with it in terms of pain, but a broken leg isn't going to make you better in a fight, Dick. It's also just not true. That pain keeps you sharp and focused? Yeah, I don't. It's distracting. It is. It's like, okay, I know I should have peed before this battle, but like having an uncomfortably full bladder is just really going to bring things into laser focus for me. going to help motivate me. Right. Yeah, no, that is a really good point. Like, I, I get maybe like an injury could give you like a jolt of adrenaline, but I would assume that if you're fighting in an alien war and in danger of being vaporized by a mad green lady with a ton of superpowers. My guess is he got some adrenaline flowing already. I would hope. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll give Dick the benefit of the doubt there where he's trying to conserve Raven's energy because he knows that he's going to ask her to do a crazily difficult thing. That is a very charitable read. I read slightly less charitable, but it does make me like Dick a little bit better, that he probably just saw Roadhouse recently. And just wants to be more like Dalton. Pain, like, don't, pain don't hurt none. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I bet if the issue had been like one page longer, he would have gotten to work in. Nobody wins in a fight. Mm -hmm. He talks about having a plan, and I think we're supposed to think that his plan is the uh, Raven can absorb some of Sparta's powers or whatnot. But I bet the plan that he was hoping he could present there was, okay, here's the plan, Titans. Be nice. Be nice until it's time to not be nice. And then you'd be very not nice. Mm. That's not how the speech went, is it? It's pretty close. That nice. the being a cooler yeah. speech. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the be nice part. Till it's time to be not nice. Till it's time to be not nice. I think. Yeah. But I, I don't know if he said then be very not nice. They should have. Mm -hmm. That'd be tough. I think it was implied. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't very nice when that guy came in with a knife on his boot. No, very nice when he ripped that dude's neck out. <laughs> no. We should have just watched Roadhouse instead of reading this comic. <laughs> just the whole episode. We just, we just, let's just talk about that instead. Okay. You remember when Tig said, a, a polar bear, bear oh, fell on me. Oh, I do. Ah, best final words of any movie, I think. So good. Mm -hmm. Ben Gazzara should be bad guys in everything. 
Ben Gazzara should just be in everything. God, I love Ben Gazzara. Those eyebrows. So expressive. So expressive. Did you go with me and Lee to see the uh, the Roadhouse the Musical when it was put on in Portland? No, I did not. It was so good. The scene where the Ben Gazzara character is sitting down and having his, like, filet mignon and eggs or whatever in the morning, for whatever reason, the version of that that was in the stage play... <laughs> He was just sitting down and eating a sheet cake that was decorated with soccer players on top of it. And so as he's giving that, like, you and I, we're not so different speech, he offers at one point, soccer cake! Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. Ah, Roadhouse. Ah, even the musical. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, in summation, beautiful artwork, but... Definitely no Roadhouse. Yeah, not enough Roadhouse. No Ben Gazzara. If Ben Gazzara was in this uh, comic book, who do you think he'd play? Oh, Sparta. Yeah, he'd make a great Sparta. Yeah. I bet he could pull off Athens, too. Both. Ooh, in a double role? Mm-hmm. Man. Some CGI, you know? Yeah. I want to see a version of Face Off where it's Ben Gazzara and Ben <laughs> Gazzara. I guess it would defeat the purpose of him taking his face off if he was going to play both roles. But, uh... He'd probably do it anyway. I bet that movie doesn't hold up so well. I bet it does. You think so? I bet it holds up in a roadhouse way. Really? Yeah. Huh. All right. Double feature. Well, I think we've really plumbed the depths of the intricacies of this comic book's plot. You want to move on to the minutia? Yep. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? <laughs> oh, no! Malfunction. I think what you're getting at is... That's right. Indeed, we do have a Natty B in our Bozone in this week's issue. As Danny is greeting Terry Long, we have perhaps the most appropriate bozo placement we have seen yet. I don't think anybody has called Terry Long a bozo in this comic book before, and uh, that is an oversight which Danny fucking Chase goes out of his way to correct. On the second page of the comic, when Terry breaks in, Danny fucking Chase greets him by saying, All right, bozo, it's dead meat Tim. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. I think he started to say time, and then he realized that it was Terry Long. I don't think he thought that Terry Long was a guy named Dead Meat Tim, although that's a pretty good insult, too. Yeah. I have uh, an acquaintance who has a tattoo that says Artie Tim because he was very intoxicated when he got this tattoo and had seen someone wearing a t-shirt that said party time, but <laughs> because it was a t-shirt, the jacket was covering up the P and the E, so it said Artie Tim, and he thought Artie Tim was something that ought to be memorialized on his body. Oh no. Yeah. Not the worst tattoo I've ever seen. No, it's a good story. Yeah, what's the worst tattoo you've ever seen? Like on a person that I know? Yeah. Who doesn't listen to the show? <laughs> uh, oh, I knew a guy that got a tattoo of Jimi Hendrix. Oh. That was a, like a portrait style, a black and white one of, there's like a t-shirt of it. It's a, like his face looking at you, and uh, but it's all 
stylized and mm-hmm. just looks really cool. I think he's got like an ascot or something on. Sure. He's and, wearing uh, his like outfit from the mm-hmm. Are You Experienced album. But also like a fancy jacket with epaulets and mm-hmm. stuff. And so it was an attempt to capture that in black and white. And it was not... Uh, not the best executed. Not photorealistic? Nope. What did it look like? You knew what it was from hmm. context, but also you're like, ooh. I'm sure we've discussed on the show the guy I knew in college who got a tattoo of Jim Morrison, but went in with the album cover of his favorite Doors album, which was the soundtrack to the movie The Doors. And so he inadvertently got a tattoo of Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. That's priceless. It really is. I would so much rather have a tattoo of Val Kilmer than Jim Morrison. So, good job? Yeah. What are we talking about? Oh, the Bozone. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other uh, insults in the comic you wanted to talk about, or just the one Natty B? Uh, I think there's a couple fools, but the Natty B was really what stood Yeah, out. yeah. Uh, I believe Sparta calls people fools a lot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I called the Titans of Myth all kinds of names, but that wasn't textual. Yeah, I, I called them in my notes selfish asshats. Fair. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find worthy of note? Man, in typical Perez style, no detail was left out. Mm-hmm. And in particular, the crowd scenes on Sinrianak with all the, you know, what would be extras like in a movie. Mm-hmm. There's one in particular where it's, it's zoomed in on some people in the crowd and the alien dude has a hairdo that I just don't know how to describe exactly it's like a monk's thing where it's like shaved on the top or maybe bald but then there's a little top knot mohawk in the middle of that it is a really goofy look it is a goofy look i noticed that a lot of the sinrianak denizens seem to have that weird like i don't know combination like cyberpunk dreadlock look that i think you saw in a lot of futurist fiction in the 90s but this is 88, so this is kind of ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, those are like dreadlocks, but they're also like, look like they're maybe made of electronic equipment. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the visuals of the Sinrianak people I thought were really great. I also liked Terry's going to sleep at his girlfriend's apartment while she's gone outfit. He's wearing a olive green trench coat over a brown turtleneck sweater. Oh, I called it Cranberry. Oh, and mine it looks brown. I think you might have had a different coloration in the reprint. Mm. It would make sense if it was recolored for reprints because the colors in this are very good. They're by Adrienne Roy, but there are a bunch of panels in which there are just different colored blobs. Did you get that in yours or no? Not so much. Because there were a couple of shots where like half of Beast Boy's face is blue instead of green. And there's one that actually makes a very cool looking effect but where a portion of Athens's eyeball is, like, gray and makes him look kind of like the character Deathlock mm-hmm. a little bit. But through the course of the issue, there are a few different spots like that, so it would make sense if they had recolored things when they reprinted them. Yeah, I referred in my notes to Terry's sweater as a uh, cranberry turtleneck sweater. Either way, I think it's a decent look. For all of his many, 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 Many faults. Terry Long's a pretty snappy dresser. Mm-hmm. 
Corey, were you able to find a timestamp in this issue? Man, not really. I did go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with the history of the word scarfing because I <laughs> oh. I thought of that as like a something that like skaters said because when I was in high school, Thrasher Magazine had a scarfing material section that was like about like, pizza reviews. Uh, no, it was like recipes. Oh, really? You could make, yeah. I didn't know Thrasher Magazine had a recipe section. Well, recipe in that, like, the one I remember is if you take a piece of bologna and you cut four cuts in it and then you fry it, it makes, like, the independent truck company, like, Iron Cross little thing. <laughs> it always struck me as very incongruous that the name of a skate company called Independent was a German military decoration. <laughs> Like, that doesn't really scream independence to me. I guess the fact that they had put it inside of a circle rather than a square. Oh. Sort of. Really breaks made the mold. It, made it not a Nazi <laughs> thing, I hope. Well, I mean, it would have predated the Nazi thing. Oh, is that a World War One thing? I, I think it was for both. But, oh, okay. but still, it, it was just like, that just, huh. Mm. Yeah, Scarfin, for whatever reason, I just associate that with, uh, like, Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, so it did, in my mind, have a, like, 80s, 90s feel, but apparently it's something from 15th century that sort of comes up every now and then. Right, a man would carry his spare rations inside of his scarf when going on holiday. I think it was, uh, like, scoff, like you would, like, a scoff at a reaction or something, but it also meant to eat food really quickly. Okay, like, like, maybe, like... Or scaff, also. Oh, or, like, quaff. Like, you would quaff your mead, but, like, you would also squaff it. The corner of the internet I was reading didn't mention that, but oh, it could be. I don't know. Yeah, what I went with was Danny referencing that they were off on Planet Mongo, which isn't specifically an 80s reference necessarily. It was a Flash Gordon reference. Uh, Ming the Merciless lives on Planet Mongo, and that could have been referring to the old Alex Raymond comic strip it could have been referring to the buster crab movie serials from the like 30s it could have been a reference to the 1980 flash gordon movie but i chose to believe that the reason danny knew planet mongo as a reference was not because marv wolfman continually makes all of his teenage characters know 1950s movies but because he liked to watch the cartoon defenders of the earth which was on in the 80s, which featured Flash Gordon, the Phantom, Mandrake the Magician, and uh, Lothar fighting Ming the Merciless together, which was a show, the cartoon that I enjoyed in the 80s. Dang. Good job finding one. It was a bit of a stretch, yeah. but uh, yeah, that was what I was able to find as a timestamp. Nice work. Thank you. You know what I think we should do, Corey? Watch Roadhouse. Yes. But before that, we should have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. <laughs> so loud today. I don't think it's more loud than usual. I think you probably just had a little bit too much of that uh, brandy-soaked eggnog last night. Oof. Or this morning. <laughs> 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 What band names were you able to find in the text of this issue? I think that these guys are kind of like mathy. Okay. Like King Crimson. Wait, who, what's, what's a math rock Ma- band? Mathy, like, I'm going to say more 
maybe that's not the right adjective. Like a a band that has a sound that is guitar driven and like a pinback. Okay, I'm not that familiar with pinback. Oh, they're great. You wouldn't like them though. Oh, okay. Probably. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So kind of a little bit complicated, melodic guitar. Okay. Stuff. And they're called Flashes of Logic. That's pretty good. I just had the one this week, and you've already heard it. Uh, I had Dead Meat Tim. <laughs> what does Dead Meat Tim sound like? I think he's a uh, one-man crust punk band. Oh, that's not... Oh, he's man. Got like, like, a, the... like he's busking with like the thing that you stamp on. Yeah, yep. he's got the drum. bass drum strapped to his back. He's got that weird like t-shirt that's been turned into patches that he's got the flap coming down. From the back of the jacket onto his butt. Mm-hmm. He's uh, sewn, like, spikes onto his denim jacket. He's playing uh, electric guitar and uh, bass drum. Mm-hmm. He's a one-man band. Probably got, like, a, one of those harmonica things around his neck with a kazoo in it. Mm-hmm. Has a badly drawn Corrosion of Conformity logo <laughs> on an elbow patch. Wow. That's Dead Meat Tim for you. Yep. These guys are a little more of a, like, a studio band than Dead Meat Tim. Okay. Well, um, they almost have to be. Yeah, yeah. Dead Meat Tim can't afford studio time. No. They have, I would say, a pretty polished sound. Really accomplished musicians. And it's that symphonic metal. Like, a, I can't think of an example, but a, a band that, you know, they it sounds, like, big and complicated and, sure. and rich and lots of layers of is that what imagine dragons is no okay no, i don't know like, what they that's, are that's that's just it's just pop not good music okay it seems like they should be that doesn't it like just from the name i guess so okay no these guys are called when gods dare dream Ooh. yeah it's pretty good mm. like kind of rush a little bit yeah but like more like metal. Okay, like uh, I always thought of like Iron Maiden as being like a more metal version of Rush. Oh, that's an interesting way to like their their like like, like like their early '80s stuff. Anyway, you know, mm-hmm. like high concept, high fantasy in some ways, but like and, and like really complicated, mm-hmm. really tough sounding music, but with not Geddy Lee's vocals. Bruce Dickinson was yeah. what a singer. Yeah, and he can fly an aeroplane. Man, he seems pretty cool. I hope he's not... He, does he turn out to be a bad person? I don't know. I've avoided looking into it. That's fair. Yeah. That's just my thought. Like, every time I'm <laughs> no, like, I oh, know. so-and-so is great. I'm like, well, actually... <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. They kill kittens. <sighs> yeah. So I got one more, just to make it complicated. Okay, what you got? These last guys are... I'd say they're, they would have given our goth marching band a, a run for their money, but they're just the goth and not the, not the marching band part. Okay. And they're... Hungry Shadows. Ooh, Hungry Shadows is good. I think, honestly, Hungry Shadows is the best name. I don't know if it's the one that would do the best in a poll, because it's not, like, wacky in any way. Mm-hmm. Let's go with Dead Meat Tim. Okay. I'm fine with that. Dead Meat Tim and his uh, crust punk <laughs> one-man one band <laughs> stylings. That electric kazoo. <laughs> I don't know how he plugged a kazoo into a distortion pedal, but he did. Mm-hmm. That's Dead Meat Tim for you. Ingenious. I'm not giving him money. Yeah, no. Just want him to go away. Don't make eye contact. Oh, boy. Sorry, Tim. I'm not sorry. Dead Meat Tim, I bet I had to serve him when I was bartending downtown. Ugh. 
he was probably from. So there were there were two different guys that were. Uh, there was Dirty Dan and there was Stinky Dan. <laughs> <laughs> they both named Dan, or did you just call? No, them they Dan? were both named Dan. And then there was another guy named Filthy Phil. And uh, Dead Meat Tim reminds me the most of Filthy Phil, who was actually a fairly nice guy. Did you name him that, or he named himself? No, that? everybody called him that. Oh. I didn't come up with these nicknames. Mm. I do remember there being confusion one time when I accidentally referred to Dirty Dan as Stinky Dan in the logbook, and they were very different people. Oh. Yeah. Oops. I got in trouble for that. Yeah. I'm sure whichever Dan it wasn't was very... Well, we don't gross. let the customers read the logbooks, Corey. Oh. I don't. I didn't work in a bar, I don't know. I thought it was like one of those when you stay at a beach house and you sign this <laughs> thing. A little bit. My fiance and I My... were at the Matador. <laughs> and what a time. It's a magical transformative experience. Could have used more linen service, but... <laughs> the memories of that photo booth. Mm. Ooh. Did not like cleaning that photo oh, booth. Oh, no. All right, so I'll post uh, Dead Meat Tim on the Twitter poll. Corey, every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Titans, until Danny fucking Chase showed up. Corey, in this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy? I had as my Aqualad for putting herself at great risk and being the one person who it all came down to her. And she's like, I have no choice. I just got to do it. Uh, Raven mm. for taking the trinity of new Titans inside her soul self and saving the world and but not saving the world, but I guess making life better for the old Titans because yeah, was maybe going to save the world. She thought she was doing the right thing, and it was a big sacrifice, so good job. Yeah, I had Beast Boy as my Aqualad. He really did a pretty decent job in this issue, and I feel like he was... I don't know. I, I don't think anybody did a great job in this issue, and I remember being struck by thinking, well, Beast Boy's okay. Yeah, and he actually summed up the entire story arc for me really succinctly right after his comment about the hey isn't it creepy that you guys hooked up as kids mm -hmm. when he basically said oh man this is really fucking complicated you need a scorecard to tell who's who yeah good yeah. point i almost wonder if that was wolfman being like sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> maybe it, it is odd to see beast boy as the audience proxy but he actually does a pretty good job of it in this issue mm -hmm. so good job beast boy Conversely, who did you have as your Beast Boy in this issue? Who did the worst? Well, if I cannot pick all of the old Titans... That was my choice. <laughs> oh, is that allowed? I don't see why not. That was my... They're Titans. Yeah, I had them all tied, except for Iapetus. I left him out because I felt bad for him, because when they all got young and rejuvenated, he was still <laughs> bald and gray-haired. Oh, I was like, really? I... Guess maybe they just were like, well, he's the god of justice, and I mean, justice has to be an old white guy. Even <laughs> even when he's young, he was an old white guy. Mm -hmm. What other kind of justice could there possibly be? Um, but I felt bad for him that he he still ended up uh, bald and gray haired. Mm -hmm. So I, I I left him out of the worst, but like, 
Yeah, I thought about if if we can't choose them, uh, I thought about going with Danny fucking Chase just because he's usually a pretty safe default choice, and he was a real dick to Terry. And failing that, I don't know. I was annoyed with Donna for carrying water for the old Titans and saying they were great. My backup, if I can't choose every single one of the old Titans, even you're you're you're, you're dra- dragging Iapetus down with him. Yeah, I mean, he still did a the terrible same job. Yeah, I know. Just... Collective genocide. You're right. That's that's fair. I, I just felt bad for him. <laughs> he's got great hair, but he still killed the planets of people. Yeah. God, what a bunch so of bad. assholes. They're so bad. But uh, so cool. That's my choice. My backup was Dick because, OK, fine. You, I guess, came up with a plan using your wrist computer, but... I was really annoyed by his go team speech because it was one of these go team speeches that was structured something like, well, I can't participate and everybody else can't participate, but you two can, you two being uh, Starfire and Beast Boy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, stakes is high. So go team, let's do this. <laughs> it's like, really, dude? Well, he, And he prefaces it by saying, oh, I'm not good at giving speeches. I don't have a good speech like... You know, like Patton in that movie, mm-hmm. which was again, a 1970 movie. So if this is 1989, I don't know why Dick would have seen that necessarily. But so he's like, yeah, I don't have a great speech like George C. Scott did in Patton, but I'm still going to give a speech, even though I know it's a shitty speech. Just don't give a speech at that point. Yeah. Don't undercut it and then under deliver still. I also just I don't like this. I'm the boss. So I'm going to motivate my team to do a thing, but not have anything to do with the thing. Like, yeah. that's just a yucky feeling. Yeah, it's like he's just justifying his job as team leader. Mm-hmm. I, in that case, I get why he didn't bother having Raven fix his foot. Yeah, then he'd have to go do some fucking work. <sighs> fucking dick. Yeah, that's a pretty good backup choice. Thanks. But man, I hate those fucking Titans. They're the worst. How is it a happy ending that they get their goddamn powers back? Yeah, because they're like... Uh... We're just going to fuck off to wherever now. And, yeah, um, we're, we're not we're, exiled anymore. We are not going to do genocide anymore, guys. We're totally cool now. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> and, uh, oh yeah, we're going to take Athens and um, Sparta with us. Yeah, even though Sparta totally has her mind burned out, it'll be a reminder for us not to do any more genocide, because otherwise, you know, truth be told, we would totally forget. Yeah. And, like, Athens, you're going to be a god now. I know it might be weird for you to be around your burned-out mind ex-lover from childhood, but... <laughs> but... It's cool, right? You are you get to be one of us. Congratulations. And his expression, too. He's just like, what? I did all that for this? Seriously. Hi, I read all these issues for this? <laughs> Their whole attitude towards the Sinrianaki people, too, who are like... Oh, this woman who has been a dictator, who has oppressed and made us serve her and made us worship her as a god and is responsible for millions of deaths of people on our planet. We're going to get revenge on her. And then the Titans show up and are like, no, 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 you guys calm down. You're so warlike and primitive. That would be wrong. It's like, dude, you killed millions of these people. This is your doing. Let them have their fucking revenge at this point. Like, no, she should serve her life as a mindless husk. Boo. It's the right thing to do. And a tasty way to do it. Oh, that is a missed opportunity. They should have made at least one of the Titans when they're super old. 
Make him look like Wilford Brimley. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. Corey, who did you have as your president of the drama club in this issue? Which character acted, or rather overacted, in the most dramatic fashion? It's a little on the nose, but I gotta go with Sparta. Blowing people up left and right, screaming, eyes literally blazing, and then drooling all over herself at the end. Yeah, really, that level of planetary genocide is just so extra. (laughs) Yep, I guess so. Yeah, I think that is a totally valid choice. I once again went with the collective answer of the Titans of Myth for equating growing old with the destruction of the universe, which I guess it must have been a metaphor when they said that the universe would be destroyed if anything happened to one of the three Titans before, because we find out that those are what the stakes are, Mm. is them being old. And I think referring to that as the destruction of the universe is uh, a little bit dramatic. Mm-hmm. Every day the universe gets a little bit more destroyed. <laughs> Corey, what was your favorite panel this issue? Man, like I said at the top, all the art in here is dynamite. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite is the full page exploding sun panel. That is a nice one. This issue just seems to be justifying a lot of very beautiful pictures of explosions because that is most of what the plot of this issue is. And they really are beautifully drawn. You get some nice character reaction shots to the explosions. But uh, yeah, the supernova sun on page 25 is really great. Gosh, you know, reinforcing your answer of, of Dick as the worst Titan, he is watching a sun explode through binoculars. <laughs> I know, everybody else has a sense to, like, look, a, look Slightly away. shield their eyes. But he's like, I gotta get a better look at this sun explosion. Speaking of the exploding sun, did you view the way that the, the Trinity was rendered as a space thong? Oh, well, you know, I didn't at the time, but it's hard to see it as anything else. Uh, on page 24, they are forming a T inside a circle. It really does look like a thong that is not really covering up a uh, a butthole. <laughs> it's, uh, it looks like that uh, that explosion has been eating cookies at Hulk Hogan's house because <laughs> that is a big backdoor. Oh, no. <laughs> For any listeners that are really confused right now, I just listened to the last few episodes and that should cover it. You know, I would advise our list, just let it wash over you. <laughs> My favorite panel in this is on a page before that. It's on page 23. And it is a panel that I called Tie-Dyed Bird Soul. And it is Raven's bird-shaped soul avatar just covered in these white and red speckled dots it looks very tie-dyed and there's lightning energy streaks running all through it and in the center you do have the somewhat thong-shaped trinity of sparta athens and uh donna troy it's just a nice look and really yeah throughout the art is very very beautiful and i really did enjoy that it's so good and the way that the panels are structured is so good it's Mm -hmm. just layout and art it, Beautiful. It, it's like a 
big dumb action movie in terms of just like it's pretty to look at and there's a lot of explosions and if you don't think about it too much it probably would have been a fun read at some point but man the who is wonder girl story five parts went into it with high hopes really enjoyed the first issue of it and then at every step beyond if you don't have a five-part story set up in your mind why are you billing it as a five-part story from the beginning this was not paced out like a five-part story and it continuously contradicted what it had set up in the previous issue and i found that really frustrating and also they fucking killed xanthi yeah that's the thing with constant high stakes action stuff too like you get that michael bay fatigue Mm -hmm. feeling you just get kind of numbed to it by Mm -hmm. the end yeah but it it was real purdy it was real purdy it was weird too to see in this wonder girl using her lariat of truth or whatever it is like if we're taking away the paradise island part of her origin it's weird that she's got a lasso and none of the other titans that grew up with her on new cronus did the parallels between her and Wonder Woman, you can chalk some of them up to parallel evolution, but it really doesn't hold together. No, no, I, th- I mean, I think it goes back to the beginning when it's like, is she uh, Wonder Woman's kid or is she like, whoops? Yeah, is she Wonder Woman's daughter? Is she Wonder Woman when she was younger? Is she Wonder Woman's sister? Is she Hippolyta's daughter? No, 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 no. Totally different space titan, but they're very similar for reasons. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, down to having the same accoutrement. If they are going to establish that that is because, oh, well, on New Cronus, you know, they both are ancient Greek in origins. Wonder Woman was raised by the gods. Wonder Girl is raised by the titans. Then they should have had the other titan seeds have lassos. Like, they had them do the bullets and bracelets thing. I thought that made sense. But her having that magic lasso that where did it come from is dumb. Sounds like you're saying it uh, strained your credulity a little bit. I think mostly what I'm saying is, boo! Man, it's hard to be mad at something that's so beautiful, but... What did I do? (laughs) This comic book, silly. Oh, okay, okay. Thank goodness. Well, Corey, I have just one more question I have to ask you. Wapoot! In the year of our Lord, 1990, and the month of our Lord, May, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoot! Later in the month of May, 1990, Aqualad has uh, found himself uh, feeling a little adrift. Yeah. And the reason is he's realized that he has spent pretty regularly the last eight years of his life enjoying the new heart show but not really knowing that he was enjoying it like it was almost this kind of comforting background noise that Mm. was on and as of the 21st of that month it was over oh dear after almost 200 episodes and yeah eight seasons did have one of the best series finales ever though Mm -hmm. yeah he did appreciate the whole Call back to the Bob Newhart show. Yeah, or it was all a dream. I ate too much sushi. I got hit in the head with a golf ball. Things are weird. My mm-hmm. wife should wear a tight sweater. Like, Daryl and Daryl finally speak. Unfortunately, sexless telling their wives to be quiet. But um, Oh, jeez. I didn't, I don't remember that part. I just remembered the very end where he wakes up in the bed and he's like, 
in bed with his wife from Newhart, and it had all been a dream. Mm-hmm. He used to read Word Up magazine. No, sorry, that's a different dream. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sorry. This one's not very good. Just Aqualad watched it, and the show's over, and he's like had this weird feeling that I kind of had as a kid too. Like I remember that it just seemed like that show was always on and was mm-hmm. never that good, but was kind of good. You had Tom Post. You had uh, Peter Scolari. Uh, they were they were fun. Mm-hmm. You had the mayor from Deadwood and his two brothers. Oh, shit, that was... Yeah. That was that guy. Well, that's one thing that Aqualad was up to. The other thing that he was up to also did involve him consuming media. It was May, and every May, Aqualad likes to celebrate by listening to the original Broadway cast recording of Camelot, because there's a song on there that Julie (laughs) Andrews sings called May, which is fucking great. Uh, If you haven't listened to the original Broadway cast recording of Camelot, it's a fucking delight. Guinevere is such an asshole. It's awesome. Songs are funny, and like I said, Julie Andrews, Robert Goulet as Lancelot, Chef Kiss. Great album. But Aqualad's listening to this. Maybe got his hands on some strong Jamaican incense. And his mind started taking him down various pathways. He was like, oh, yeah, I should watch some other Julie Andrews movies. He watched a few different ones, but he ended up watching The Sound of Music. He's like, oh, that's pretty good. I wonder what happened to that, uh, the, the second oldest daughter in that. And so he, he started, like, doing a little bit of research, and he's like, oh, she, she grew up and she married, uh, Robert Urich, uh, who played Spencer for Hire. Yeah. But before he played Spencer for Hire, he was in a little movie called Ice Pirates. Ooh, space oh, herpes. boy. <laughs> Ice Pirates is a great movie. Uh, he, he started thinking about Ice Pirates and how much he liked that movie. And then he was like, they should do a remake of Ice Pirates. So they should make a TV show of it. Oh, you know who should be in that TV show? The guy who played Hawk in Spencer for Hire, mm. along with Robert Urich. I think he would make a really good lead in an Ice Pirates TV show. What's that guy's name? I know he played Hawk in Spencer for Hire. And so he starts going through his Rolodex because he thinks he met the guy. Avery Brooks is the actor. Mm. He went on to play uh, Cisco on uh, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And so it's like looking up Avery Brooks' phone number and he finds an entry and it's for Hawk. And he's like, oh, yeah, he played Hawk. That's probably who I'm thinking of. Oh, no. And so he dials the phone. And as soon as... Fucking Hank. Yeah, Hank Hall picks up. (laughs) And as soon as he picks up, Aqualad's like, oh, fuck. I fucked up. And Hawk (laughs) is just like, who the fuck is this? And Aqualad's like, um, I'm, I'm sorry, wrong number. And Hawk is, like, super paranoid. He's in his, like, even more aggressive than usual phase. He's like, fuck you, I'm going to track you down and kill you. Who is this? And uh, Aqualad's like, um, this is, uh, my name's Johnny Fever. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he'd been watching some WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh. He's like, where do you live? And he's like, Cincinnati? Living on the air in Cincinnati? <laughs> <laughs> And Hawk is like, well, I'm coming to Cincinnati and I'm going to find you. And uh, Aqualad's like, okay, have fun. He hangs up and he starts feeling bad. Mm. He's like, I should warn Cincinnati that Hawk is coming. Oh, jeez. So he calls the local radio station in Cincinnati. And he's like, hey, I just want to warn you guys, Hawk is coming. And he's really dangerous. I, I know he has a bad reputation, but it's worse than you would imagine. He represents a real, real threat to you guys. 
And word starts spreading around Cincinnati that Hawk is coming and he is going to be a real problem. And word spread to the baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds, who had a game on May 22nd against the Chicago Cubs and their star player at the time, Andre Dawson, whose nickname was The Hawk. And so the Cincinnati Reds decided, oh, The Hawk is even more dangerous than we thought he was? All right, we're just going to pitch around him. And that is why on May 22nd, Andre Dawson was intentionally walked a record five times in a single baseball game. (laughs) And that is what Aqualad was probably up to in May of 1990. As you can tell, a very eventful month. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is impressive. Thank you. (laughs) That explains the... uh corkboard with all the string and the uh-huh. baseball cards yep. and the tax. Follow the money picture of Johnny Fever. Robert Urich. Do you remember that scene in Ice Pirates where the lady is uh, doing the sword fight thing? It's the first it's a scene that I've seen in movies a ton of times since then. I would be surprised if it was the first time but it's the time that I think of the most when I think of this. Where there's a really fast sword fight and you cut back to the person, and he was like, huh, I'm fine, and then his head falls off. Mm-hmm. I think of that scene in Ice Pirates a lot. Yeah, it's pretty smooth. I think that might have been Angelica Houston. Mm. I'm not sure, though. They had that uh, DVD called Passion Storm. <laughs> you remember that? It wouldn't have been a DVD, would it? Well, it's in space. Uh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it was the 80s, so... I don't think they had DVDs yet in the 80s. Well, though. it was the future. So it was in the future. Fiction. I think it would have been like, it's in the future, but it's still real to real. <laughs> it's a film strip. I love that there's a spaceship that has a room where you can go put on this, like, atmospherically immersive, bone-down show. I mean, that's the holodeck, right? I guess so, yeah. I talked about not liking to clean the photo booth. I would not like to clean the holodeck. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine being the janitor on the spaceship who has to clean the holodeck? I'm not doing it. No, I won't know. I won't imagine it either. Mm. Let's not. Done. Well, Corey, thanks so much for joining us in this dramatic conclusion mm. of Who is Wonder Girl? You're welcome. Theoretically, we are now no longer covering the complicated origin and retconning of Wonder Girl or Valkyrie. All figured out. Corey, smooth sailing from here on out. I don't see what could possibly go wrong. At least it's not raining. (laughs) Hey, Fate, do you find what I said tempting? Oh, boy. Won't you wiggle your eyebrows at Fate like that? (laughs) Hey, Fate. A, it's creepy. B, it's tempting. (laughs) Don't have Fate. Fine. If you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically. Can you even imagine such a thing? At ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on various places in the socials media. Twitter is where we do the Battle of the Band Names poll, so if you have a thought on. Dead Meat Tim and his musical stylings. That's where you can check in and make your voice heard on that important issue. We're also up on, uh, you know, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, LinkedIn. Many of those accounts are semi-fallow, but sometimes we check them out and see what's going on. So if you want to pop us a hello in any of those forums, feel free. 
But if you can't find us there, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? I'm going to be polishing off the last of that holiday eggnog. Mm. Hoping for the best. Good for you, man. Thank you. God, I love eggnog. It's too rich. It is. It's so good. It's just too much. Oh, boy. It's literally too much of a good thing. Indeed. I'll probably be having some eggnog myself, although I might also be having some brandy. It turns out I like brandy. We had to get some for the eggnog, and uh, if I don't get, like, a $10 bottle of brandy, I guess I like brandy. (laughs) Hmm. That's true. That is, it's one of the boozes that, well, I guess most hard alcohol, you kind of get what you pay for, but it's really noticeable with brandy. It's really noticeable. I feel like with a lot of alcohols, you notice the next day the difference, like it affects the quality of the hangover more than necessarily the flavor. But with brandy and like a few others, you really feel it going down. Especially if it's not like a a component of something. If you're drinking it neat or with some ice. Yeah. Part of the reason that I've been drinking brandy lately was the other night I uh, had a snifter of brandy and uh, pretended to smoke a pipe and did a new segment that is up on our Patreon that is called Hub's Winter Wisdom. My friend Megan Bob prevailed upon me to do a uh, segment where I answer listeners' questions and give some advice. It's terrible advice, but I had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, it was nice to class it up, put on a robe, pretend to smoke a pipe, drink some brandy, and uh, dispense some knowledge. So unlike most of the stuff on the Patreon that is not behind a paywall, you can uh, check it out there. That's what I'm going to be doing in people's hearts, is uh, drinking some brandy, wearing a robe. Nice. Seems like a nice cozy thing to do in a heart. Absolutely. I just mentioned our Patreon. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can check out our Patreon. There is a whole bunch of stuff up there that is available exclusive to our donors. The Hub's Winter Wisdom is uh, free for anybody, so if you want to check that out without making a donation, you can do that first. But while you're there, if you want to maybe kick us down a couple of bucks for the entertainment we have provided you with, I would certainly appreciate that. If you do, you get access to, as I said, a whole bunch of bonus content that is just for our donors, including the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a ton of video reviews of classic comic books that I've done over the past couple of years, and a whole bunch of other podcast extras that I've recorded with Corey and some other people too. So you can uh, scoot around and check that out. Probably not scoot around. That implies you've got something on your butt and you're trying to wipe it on the carpet. <laughs> but if that is the case, you can you can do that while you check out the Patreon. Multitask. Hey, it's your carpet. Yeah, have fun. If it is your carpet, if you're a guest at somebody's house, don't scoot around on the carpet. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Rude. It is. But you know what? If you donate to the Patreon, I will give you absolution. (laughs) You scoot on any fucking carpet you want. And if anybody has a problem with that, you just tell them Hub said it was fine. I'll take the blame for this. That's big of you. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, maybe consider donating. (laughs) That's a cheap absolution, actually. That is a bargain. Uh Uh-huh. You you should see what the Pope charges for that shit. Mm -hmm. A pretty penny, I will tell you that much. Mm. Yeah, bargain basement absolutions here. For as little as a dollar a month, I will absolve you of 
many sins, but primarily the one where you scoot your butt on a stranger's <laughs> carpet. Well, it should be a stranger. No, it should at least be a friend. Somebody's carpet that's not yours. To right. I won't absolve you of breaking and entering unless you donate at the $5 a month <laughs> tier. In all seriousness, though, uh, your donations do make the show possible. So if you would like the show to continue, please consider making one. And thank you so much for those of you who have been generous with us, both with your money and your time and your support over the years. It, it means a lot to me, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately because it's a, you know, reflective time of year. And I'm so grateful that we have the audience that we do. And thank you so much for listening. If people would like to support the show in a non-financial way, Corey, what's a way people could do that? Could send us more delicious recipes. We oh, got that's one true. for uh, some green chili mac and cheese in the mm -hmm. mail the other day that I am, uh, or in the electronic mail. In the electronic mail, in the regular mail, we got a, uh, a recipe for a gin drink that I'm looking forward to trying out. Although gin is my danger liquor. It makes a man mean. It makes a me mean, frankly. <laughs> Mamma mia. A <laughs> me mean, uh. But that was a long time ago. That was like uh, the, the only fights I've ever been in in my semi-adult life have been when I have had too much gin to drink. And that was, like I said, semi-adult. I was uh, in my late teens at the time. And the quality of gin may have played a role. It was a warm flask of Seagram's gin. Oof. But still, in general, I try to avoid gin as a liquor. So uh, by fight, do you mean say something cutting, kind of funny, but inappropriate, and then get beat up a little bit? Yes. Okay. That is exactly what I mean, Corey. <laughs> I know my brother. Yeah. One time I physically ran away. Ah. Good uh, and, and then hid under the bed. Did you get found? No. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, once I got to my house, I really didn't need to hide <laughs> under the bed at that point. <laughs> but it's like, well, you know, I ran this far. Better safe than sorry. Exactly. What were we talking about? So, other ways to support the show are telling people about the show or mm. leaving a review for the show. Yeah. What's uh, an example of a review someone might leave? Hub will give you absolution for pretty much anything, depending on how much you donate. Five stars. Yeah, I'm glad you added the depending on how much you donate. That That is true. And also the pretty much. There are some caveats. There are things that I will not forgive. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Basically, wherever, wherever you got your podcast, there's probably a button or something you can click that yeah. says leave a review, and um, please do. Yeah, leave a five-star review for us. Helps people find the show, I guess. Yeah, I think. I honestly don't really know how that works. I, I know probably lots, look into lots it. of other podcasts say this. Sure. So. I think it does help people I've find the show. I've listened to those, so it probably works. Seems like it does. Yeah. Anecdotally. Mm-hmm. And another thing that all those other ones say is you should tell people. That's one that I can confirm because I have heard from people. I've had listeners write to me and be like, hey, I heard about this show from my friend so-and-so. That's awesome. Or I told my friend so-and-so about this and they were happy to listen. Uh, we do very, very well in the so-and-so demographic. Yeah. So that could be you. Yeah. You could be the person that brings a little bit of levity into someone's life. Be the change you want to see in the world. If the change you want to see in the world is more people listening to our show. You can be the change you want to see in the world in other ways, too. And I, I would, in fact, recommend that also. Mm -hmm. But as part of that, just be like, hey, there's this show. Tighten up the defense. I swear, it's not a pyramid scheme. It'll change your life. Pretty good. For the better. Pretty good. Pretty good. 
five stars. Oh. You can say that in a personal recommendation, too, uh, just conversationally. uh Uh-huh. You ever say that conversationally? Five stars? Yeah. No, only here on the... Yeah. This part of the show. But, you know, you can can put it however you want when you're talking to your your people out there. Yeah, make it your own. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, guess it's time to turn off the footlights and pack the circus back up in our Conestoga wagon. This is a new character I'm working on, apparently. I don't know apparently. what any of those words mean. Um, This is Except a guy who is the ringmaster of a Old West circus um, who is traveling west on a Conestoga wagon. And in a lot of ways... What is our podcast if not a traveling Old West circus? I've had some brandy. Yes, you have. Bye. Bye. And they knew it. Twitter is where we do the face Facebook poll. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all the same shit. Yeah, I don't fucking know. One of you boys owes me an apology. Now I leave it up to you to decide which one of you wants to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry, boss. I'm sorry, boss. I believe you, Tinker. But you, O'Connor, somehow I don't believe you. Now you better try it again. Because if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a man who's untruthful. I'm sorry, boss. If there's one thing that disgusts me, it's a man who can't admit when he's wrong. I swear to God, boss, I'm sorry. You disgust me, O'Connor. You want to know why you disgust me? No, why, boss? Because you're a bleeder. You bleed too much.